Welcome to Lay of the Brand, where we talk with the experts on tech marketing, creative, and PR to learn what's new, what's working, and what's next. I'm Peter Jacobs with Merit Group, and in the first of a three-part series, we're looking at federal account-based marketing, ABM, from a data-driven standpoint. If you're marketing to the federal government, you're already doing some form of ABM. That's the nature of selling to a specific agency or an office within that agency. But how can you step up your game? That takes a coordinated effort between marketing and sales, along with research-driven campaigns that speak directly to the key people you need to reach. To get a better understanding of how that research is essential to target and refine your messaging, we're joined by Aaron Heffron, the president of government market research firm Market Connections. Aaron, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Peter. Government-focused companies have been engaged in what's now called account-based marketing for years to varying degrees. Aaron, what's changed about ABM over time? Well, Peter, I don't think ABM has really changed uh, much. It's the market itself, the government market, uh, has changed and evolved over time. I mean, years ago, account-based marketing within government meant that you are actually marketing to the public sector rather than the commercial sector. I mean, all the government marketers kind of started in that B2B realm where government was just one segment. So they started marketing toward those particular segments on an account basis. It evolved over time where now within government, there was some differentiation between SLED and FED, between civilian and defense, but it was still at a relatively high level. Now I think we've gotten to the part where we've caught up to where B2B and B2C marketing has been for the last 10, 15 years where there's a further drill down. And I think it's because there's more information available now than there ever was about individuals, about the offices they work for, the agencies they work for. And I think what that's done is pointed many marketers in the direction of, hey, we can tailor things a little bit more now than we used to. We're getting the support from our higher ups to do that because they see the success in the B2B market. And we've had some demonstrated successes along the way. So I think the availability of the data along with the acknowledgement that the government market is not a monolith has really moved people forward into uh, this type of setting. So you're seeing that ABM campaigns are becoming more research-driven because there's more information to pull from? Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg uh, where there's more information that makes ABM more possible, but people want to do more ABM, so they want to make more data available and collect more data as we go along. I mean, I'm all for collecting as much data as possible. That's, you know, what I do. It's a good thing to see uh, that folks really want to take that information. Now there's limitations to it, uh, but I certainly think that folks now see with all the publicly available information that's out there, and that's one of the beauties of the government market is so much of this information that is hidden behind walls in the commercial world is out in the open, whether it be the upcoming budgets that the agency has, the contact information for the people that you're trying to reach, or the direction and overall mission of the agency and what they're trying to accomplish in the upcoming year. All of that's public information. And that really is uh, really the catnip for marketers who want to get into uh, ABM. 
Right. As you just pointed out, there are so many sources that can be seen by pretty much anybody to help identify exactly what's going on within an agency and who the players are. Yeah, it's not a mystery. I, I have many folks that I've talked to who come over from the commercial realm and start laying out marketing plans and decide where they want to go or even setting up sales plans. And I tell them, you know, that information is already available. Here's three or four websites that you can go to now and you can get the full layout of what these folks are planning to do and how much they're planning to spend to do it. And you just see their eyes open in a way that they, they say, this is amazing. Uh, but there is, you do have to stop short of that. Is It's one thing to have all that information there. It's another thing to know what to do with it uh, once you have it. That's a very good point, and that's something that we're going to get to in just a few minutes. But first, I wanted to ask you about some of the differences between government marketing and commercial marketing. You started to talk about some of that. With the government, it's centered around RFPs. There's a specific schedule and timing involved. There's information that they have to disclose way up front. And even though you know when the RFP is going to drop, before that happens, you have to be thinking about your marketing. You have to be thinking about awareness. How does research support this kind of ABM thinking throughout that whole marketing and sales cycle? Yeah, if you're waiting until the RFP drops to do your marketing and, and efforts, I mean, you've missed the boat. You might as well just look toward the next RFP coming down. We advise our clients to start looking 18 to 24 months ahead of time before the RFP even hits the ground. And it's really our push is to find out the needs, find out the challenges, and really find out the lay of the land in the particular agencies that you are trying to target. And what does that mean? That means understand what the challenges they have on a day-to-day -day basis, understand their awareness of the both the technologies or the products you're trying to sell, and their awareness and perceptions of you as a vendor or as a potential partner. Knowing what your headwinds are walking into this RFP are going to be more helpful than anything with your efforts in, you know, all the lead up that you want to do, you know, uh, laying the groundwork, making sure they're familiar with you. You don't want them to see and know about your company the first time when they pick up your submission on the RFP. You know, you want to grease that as much. And some companies, that's not a problem. They're well-known brand entities. Uh, but even so, if you're a well-known entity, there are blessings and curses to being well-known. Uh, they may know you well for one particular thing, but not what you are going to be submitting in the RFP. So knowing that ahead of time allows you to then lay out a marketing campaign that maybe introduces you into a new market or, or introduces yourself as a company altogether. So the awareness, the familiarity, but also knowing that about your competitors, uh, knowing who the two or three main competitors are for that in that particular agency, whether they're already embedded or whether they just have incredibly high top of mind awareness and familiarity. All of that's important knowing so that you can tailor your message to your strengths, to your competitors' weaknesses, and make sure that you're speaking uh, in the same language that those agencies are talking about the challenges they're facing. 
Well, let's talk a little bit more about this targeting and messaging, which, as we know, are critical to ABM. You need to find the right people. We've discussed that. And then you need to reach them with the information they need in the time and place that they need it. What has your research shown to be successful in approaching these aspects? Well, we like to start off with the what's. What are they reading? What are they listening to? What are they seeing? And knowing that for those particular agencies really gives you the first step. So it's laying out uh, where do the decision makers sit? Are they in the Washington, D.C. area? Are they sitting out in the field? Uh, Those folks who sit in the Washington, D.C. area, what are they listening to? Uh, What are they uh, seeing on a regular basis? Do they see the signage? Do they see the things coming in and out of the airports? Do they listen to the radio at certain times? You know, and that speaks to the where are they getting their information? So after you know the what's, know the where's. Um, you know, we've seen a change over the last year and a half to two years with regard to commuting and, you know, folks not commuting, uh, that it has changed, especially in the DC area the listenership of radio as one example. There are many others, and we can talk about those uh, as we go along here. But knowing those dynamics for your particular, the particular agencies you're targeting off is really the next step. And then the last piece is we ask them, do you really know why they are looking to fill this particular need? Um, Are they being challenged from the executive level? Is there an executive mandate that has come down that says they have to meet certain deadlines or they have to meet certain criteria? Or is this something that has bubbled up because there are shortcomings in the existing infrastructure, existing systems that they have in place that they have found to be challenging them? Uh, And it may be a little bit different. There are agencies that are very citizen-centric, very uh, hands-on, where they have day-to-day interactions with citizens. You know, think of the VA, for an example. There's a lot of transactional type of work and the, the shortcomings, as opposed to someone like uh, the, the Department of Defense, where it's a little more mission focused, a little bit bigger picture view. Sure, there's some day-to-day transactions there, but it's less about transacting with the citizens they're serving and more about how their own infrastructure works with their particular uh, employees and how that works. So we really ask our folks to sit down and think about those what's, the where's, and then the why's. And once you have that view, then you can move to the implementation and understand the particular tools that can be used uh, to reach those individuals at the right time, at the right place, uh, just like you mentioned. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the channels and the audiences. Over the last year, of course, year and a half, there has been, as you said, a big change in commuting habits, also a big change in where people are located. They're not all sitting at that one government location where their agency is headquartered or a field office. They could be almost anywhere. So have you seen a change in the channels of communication that are getting through to people? Yeah, it's we have seen an evolution. We have seen a change from... Um, obviously, events are were the first thing to go. Uh, I think at the beginning of last year, uh, there was that big switch where everybody tried to uh, 
digitize their events in some way, virtual events. I think some folks did it well. Uh, sometimes it went poorly and that was of no uh, reason other than I think folks were just trying to figure out how do you even do such a thing? How do you get from uh, shaking people's hands and targeting that one uh, C-level person who's going to be at a conference and making sure you're standing next to them in the buffet? How do you replace that with a Zoom-type uh, call where you're just a talking head? And I think that you know, even more so than where they're located, like which office, whether they're in DC, they're in a home office or whatnot, the where of uh, where these people are going to be meeting in the future, I think, you know, changed obviously over the last 18 months, but I think it's permanent uh, to some extent. I think that events are never going to get back to where they were. I think that while you do have this craving for human interaction, I think there's a lot of companies out there that are going to say, well, you know what? We did pretty well with sales um, when we didn't have to pay for our sales reps to travel everywhere and pay for these booths at the exhibit halls. We still seem to do okay. And then you have government agencies going, well, you know, my folks still learned about things. Uh, why am I paying and budgeting for them to travel to these locations. So I think that's going to change. And I think what it comes down to is the creation of information, uh, communication of information in a kind of create it once and play it everywhere situation where uh, we're going to be challenged as government contractors providing to create uh, one piece of information that is relevant to a lot of people and then play it forward on various platforms. We saw folks switch over to a more digital, digital readership went way up. Uh, we saw people going to websites and reading that. We saw the watching of short videos and such increase. And these aren't the, the glossy, fancy videos of the gee whiz uh, bit of information. They were things as simple as an engineer in front of a whiteboard that was just explaining how you know, tab A connects into slot B. They were, you know, as technical as that, were incredibly helpful. And some of the highest viewership that we saw, they want to see non-salesy information communicated along to them so that they can move on to their next thing. So whether that's through a virtual meeting uh, where they're just getting the facts and getting the specifics on it, or a short video or a short white paper, all of those things uh, were increasing and going up over the past year. And I do not see those abating um, even when we can go back in uh, more regularly in person and talk to folks. That's an interesting observation in that over the past several years, we hear a lot about how people are tired of being sold to. They want to learn the information that's going to be relevant to them in a more, and I hate to use the word, authentic manner. Uh, at the risk of uh, of turning that into way too much of a cliche. But the reality is, as you said, the engineer in front of the whiteboard, just explaining. That's a lot more useful when you're dealing with all the distractions, especially if someone's working from home. And the overload, it's short attention span theater. Yeah, the focus is on credibility. And I think that's what every contractor needs to strive toward 
in their uh, marketing materials, in their messaging, in any sort of communication or information they put out there is, is credible from a, does it give the enough information, but is it believable in the way it was delivered? Uh, there's one way to be you know, authentic to say it in the way that it sounds like, hey, that guy knows or that woman knows what they're talking about. Uh, and sometimes that can get overwhelmed in a, in a glossy delivery uh, or a too convoluted of a message. I think what also it does is these short informational things will take advantage of another change that we've seen over the last 18 months which is the consumption of work-related information through personal devices. Uh, we used to, you know, back in 2018 and 2019, worry about the defense folks or the DHS folks walking into a skiff at the beginning of the day and having to turn in their personal cell phone at the door and not being able to get to certain websites, not being able to look at certain videos or stream certain things during the day. Now that's not as much of the case. Many of us have our personal devices sitting next to us on our desks, even personal computers, phones, even the TV on or radio on in the background throughout the day. And that's giving another channel for information to reach. I think there's an there was always an increasing blurring of the lines. It wasn't black or white. There was these shades of gray of whether you're working or not. And I think that's even more the case now. Those shades of gray have expanded where sometimes you're on a personal social media feed and you see a bit of information come through on a work-related topic and you jump on there. Nobody thinks twice about doing that anymore, especially uh, over the past year. You mentioned something about the prevalence and the acceptance of make once play everywhere kind of content. At the same time, when you're looking at creating an ABM campaign, are there times that you should be targeting that uh, content a lot more directly to certain audiences? There certainly is, uh, but you have to go into that with knowledge of what you should be tailoring uh, for and who you're tailoring it to. And that's where I, I see failures in ABM happen is where there are assumptions made walking in. Uh, it's easy to sit around the table with some sales and marketing folks and they say, oh yes, this is exactly the message or this is exactly what should be said to this person because I talk to them on a regular basis. Well, that's all well and good and that information is important, but knowing a little bit about what keeps those folks up at night uh, knowing about what kind of pressures are being put on them at work, uh, what is the mission shift that's happening, and matching that up with the messages that you're trying to deliver doesn't always necessarily align. The other piece is 70% or plus of that information uh, and the pain that the folks in the government are the same across everybody. And the other failure I see is when you try to make something too tailored, too specific. And what you lose is, yeah, that may have been the 30% of a unique tailoring that you needed to do for that agency, but you've downplayed this other 70% that is important to these folks and that they need to make sure is checked off. So if you forget and assume that they know that and go right to the tailored portion of it, 
you're missing uh, the ultimate impact that you're going to get out of an ABM campaign. So how do B2G focused companies make that decision as to when they should target really precisely and when they should go broader? Yeah, it's a hard decision to make. And I think there are a lot of factors. One uh, factor in is looking at the type of product and service that you are offering. Um, is it a very niche type of product or service that has a very specific audience? Or do, is it something that is going to have broad appeal? That's one. That's one that most of us do automatically uh, as we're walking in. The second uh, piece is looking at your own budget and capabilities. Uh, you know, can you realistically create a campaign that is tailored or custom to a variety of different agencies? Uh, and if you look at your staff and you're a staff of one or two, it may not be realistic for you to try to embark on a very detailed ABM campaign. And what you may say is, look, I'm going to try to make the best out of the 70%. Uh, my messaging is going to be common, but maybe what I can do is tailor how I'm delivering it. So rather than tailoring the what and the how, I'm just tailoring the how. Uh, the other decision you can make is, okay, well, I know that most of the audience uh, gets the information in the same way. Maybe I can just tweak the messaging just a little bit, but it's got to come down to looking at the ROI um, of that. You know, are you really going to make an appreciable difference um, by spending the extra time, spending the extra dollars to customize? And are there such vast differences in your target audience, but also what your competitors are offering out there to make it worth your while? Do you really have something that is going to be really different uh, than your competitor? Or could it be that uh, it's going to come down to a cost and price issue? And if it's just going to come down to a cost and price issue, doing an ABM campaign may not necessarily be worth it. If you can't make a value play, then ABM may not be worth it to you. And this, of course, is where your market research comes in, where you, uh, in order to understand what are competitors uh, trying to say, what is it that uh, your audience is looking for, and where and how should I make that spend? Yeah, there are many times that we've sat down in focus groups. Uh, we bring together some technology decision makers from the government, civilian and DOD audiences, have them sit in the room, and we read out the messages that a certain client wants to put out there in the market. They say, you know, we've written this up. This message is going to hit right on target. This is exactly what they want. So we talk about those messages with them. We read them out. And at the end, I always love doing the exercise of saying, okay, now you've read this message. It didn't name someone. Who do you think that this message came from? Who do you think could credibly deliver this message? And nine times out of 10, they will list all the competitors except the client that's sitting in the back room. That's when there's a realization that, look, we sound the same as everybody else. And maybe it's not that we have to tailor our messaging right now. Maybe it's we need to spend a little time raising some awareness or familiarity with what we do as a company among this audience so that when this message finally gets to them about a particular service or product, 
that we are top of mind or we have credibility enough that they think of us in that laundry list. Earlier, you touched on the differences between talking to civilian agencies versus DOD. Besides some of the language that you'd want to use, are there other aspects to the two different types of audiences that people should keep in mind? Yeah, we do see uh, some differences here in uh, tactics as well. Uh, Coming out of the pandemic, uh, we're seeing that the defense audiences are more likely and and more interested in getting back face-to-face and doing uh, events, smaller events, you know, small to mid-size events. They're much more tolerant of that. I I think you'll see that even more now with the mandate about full vaccinations uh, that you'll see that are coming. uh, First, it was in the military. Now, uh, the executive order is coming up out about vaccinations for all civilian. I think you're going to see Uh, defense kind of leading the way as far as getting back in person. Uh, We also surprisingly see defense also uh, have increased their look at social media. Uh, You wouldn't think it, uh, but it does make sense that we've seen an increase over the last year and a half because many of these defense folks uh, did not have access to social media uh, because of secure situations that they were going into, they couldn't get to those. So now that many of them are working from home or working in other remote locations, they're starting to have a little more access to social media than they did before. Uh, the civilian audience, what's interesting with them is that um, they are mission focused, and I'm not going to you know count them out uh, from that, but they also have been there. Uh, been there a long time. They have a lot of experience. They may have gone through multiple agencies rather than an army person has been through the army the whole time. And that's what they know. Somebody working in as a program manager at DHS may have been at transportation. They may have been at energy and they may have moved around within the civilians. So there's a lot of connections that they've made, a lot of histories that they have. So knowing where that individual came from, even before they're sitting in their current job, is helpful to know when you're trying to market uh, in there and do something that's very specific to an agency. Uh, you know, as you go, you know, that makes a difference in, in how you talk to them. Aaron, in our next episodes in this series, we'll be joined by some other experts who will help us get some perspective on what makes ABM campaigns succeed. But for now, to give a high level idea of what's to come, Once you decide that an ABM campaign is appropriate, are there any trends that can give you a starting place for what needs to be created and how to set up measurement once it's underway? Yeah, ABM campaigns are, it's important to lay the groundwork of information ahead of time for two reasons. One is it helps you tailor the campaign itself. As I mentioned, the what's, the where's, the why's from those individuals. So you walk in having a pretty good knowledge of what you should be saying, and then it's a matter of fine tuning and and getting things right and putting the correct uh, foot forward. But what's also helpful from gathering that information is you establish a baseline for yourself of knowing that this agency and that agency think of us a certain way, they think of our competitors a certain way, a year from now, after I've invested dollars and cents into getting out there, I've sent people on the road, we've done X, Y, and Z, 
returning to those folks to do one things. One is to know what's different, you know, how has the market changed, but also to knowing how much you have moved the needle in their familiarity and awareness of you really allows you to continue to fine tune and tweak because no ABM campaign is perfect from the beginning. You can't have, per, you know, there's no way to have perfect information and the world changes. I mean, heck, look at the last 24 months. Uh, there's a lot of ABM campaigns that started in January of 2020 that, you know, fell flat because of drastic changes. But being able to return to those will know if, if it's moving the needle. You'll be able to demonstrate to executive management who's looking at those uh, those, those bottom line dollars because you know all of us in marketing and sales are often considered overhead. They're looking at that spend that you're doing and they wanna connect it to some return on that investment. And if you can say, we've moved the needle from point A to point B, and now look at some of the sales and traction we're starting to get, that's incredibly helpful in securing budgets going forward, growing budgets and justifying you know, why you're doing what you're doing every day. I've been talking with Aaron Heffern of Market Connections. Thanks for being here, Aaron. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. Stop by layofthebrand.com to download some exclusive ABM research from Market Connections that can help you build your next campaign. And be sure to keep an eye out for the next two episodes in this special B2G series. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by Merit Group, an integrated strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their stories and build business. Got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback? Subscribe to Lay of the Brand on your preferred listening platform and leave us a review. And please spread the word and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. To learn more about Merit Group and the show, check out layofthebrand.com. 